All right. Welcome to Know Your Roles, the podcast where we compare everything across the board in pop culture and entertainment. We talk film, TV, music, sports, and more. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Kleinman, and this is my co-host, Mr. George Payton, Gordon Willis III. Take it away, George. Thank you, Dave. Dave, uh, this week we've got a fun one. We've got a filmmaker, writer, performer, and host of an amazing podcast called Adventures in Black Cinema, and that's Desmond Thorne. And we're going to be talking about film scores and desserts. But before we get to that, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right, George. Last night was uh, trivia night at uh, Chilo's, hosted by the unbelievable... uh, uh, incomparable Mary Bess, uh, producer Mary Bess. <laughs> hey, that's me. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed uh, the last uh, few weeks. And I just want to say to everybody, if you want to succeed at trivia, become a bartender. <laughs> that's where it gets you. Um, although I will say that some of them, it's very difficult. Um, you know, I'm only like... 70% paying attention because I'm also like trying to do my job. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, last night there was, it was like doctor themed and uh, like when it comes to TV doctors, like I got you, I got you, but like actual medical stuff, that wasn't exactly my strong suit. But anyway, just add also a side note. Uh, if you, if, if anybody out there is, who's listening, wondered jeopardy host update, <laughs> Uh, they've announced that Ken Jennings is going to be temporarily doing it or at least splitting it with uh, Mayim Bialik uh, for the rest of the year. And if it's not going to be LeVar Burton, who apparently doesn't want the job anymore, uh, it should be Ken Jennings. I mean, the guy like destroyed Jeopardy. Um, anyway, George, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I got myself a haircut. I've got a wedding and a, uh, I still do stand up and a stand up gig. And I was like, well, I should probably look nice for this. So I got, <laughs> got my first haircut in, in uh, like three months. I don't know, I know how I, I feel. I look like I've, I got like a line, like a little kid. A little I, I am so happy that you mentioned this because I can't believe it's not the first thing I said when I saw you when I opened this Zoom, this Zoom chat. Um, because you look great, man. You got it oh, all lined. You. you got lined up. You, yeah, you yeah, yeah. Shaven. I was like, you said you had friends it. in town. I was like, man, he must really care about these people. <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, no. <laughs> I, I will. I will second that you look great, Georgie. Oh, thank you. For those listeners who who aren't seeing George right now, he's looking good. Everybody, watch out. Yeah, yeah. Took a took a shower this morning. Not usually after the podcast. You stop yeah. it. You stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. And I'm not hungover, which is even crazier. So it's been it's been quite the quite the experience with George. In fact, I'm probably gonna need to lie down because this is an out-of-body experience, what's happening right now. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, a lot. We're proud of you. Keep going, buddy. Oh, thank you. You know, 43 and going backwards. It's cool. You could take a rest. Um <laughs> all right, George. What do you say we open the bar up? Absolutely. Today on tap, we've got our thoughts on the uh, Licorice Pizza trailer, which is a new Paul Thomas Anderson movie, his ninth feature. Um, the, what I like to call the way too early, the challenge predictions. Uh, 
think we're in episode four of the challenge and it's kind of all over the place and off the rails as the challenge should be. And finally, we're going to be talking about David Bowie and the upcoming David Bowie record toy and the upcoming David Bowie uh, box set, which comes out in November. But Dave, let's talk about licorice pizza. Um, it's funny that we're going to talk about, we're ending with talking about David Bowie and the licorice pizza trailer features a David Bowie song. So how about, Shout out to all of us for making that happen. It was like, it was like we just bookended with a lot of Bowie stuff. Um, as I've mentioned, it is the ninth feature of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. It's got this this crazy cast uh, that includes uh, uh, Alana Haim, who is uh, part of the the amazing uh, pop trio Haim with her two other sisters. It also includes Cooper Hoffman, who is the son of one of my favorite actors, and I know Dave, one of yours, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Bradley Cooper and Sean Penn, and it also has his wife. Uh, um, Maya Rudolph. So uh, what are your thoughts, your early thoughts on the trailer that you saw this week? Well, like I said to you uh, a little while ago off off uh, air, um, when you put like the David Bowie track, it's uh, any of those, any of those like slower epic tracks from that era. I, I believe this song's five years, right? That, that they play. And you, you pair that with uh, these like epic sweeping visuals. I'm like uh, on board. And then, then, uh, you say it's a, a Paul Thomas Anderson film, PTA, as uh, the cool kids call him. Um, <laughs> uh, it looks incredible. It, it looks really interesting. I mean, you know, you can only tell so much from the trailer, but like, obviously, you and I are both huge fans of him uh, as literally over both of our shoulders in our respective apartments are a poster of uh, Boogie Nights, a Paul Thomas Anderson film. To me, in the trailer, this movie kind of looked like a little bit of his earlier stuff. It looked a little more um, dynamic as far as like pacing goes. Of course, you know, like I said, as a trailer, it's very hard to tell. Uh, but like, you know, he's kind of got he had kind of gotten into this methodical, slow moving style, you know, after like there will be blood and then uh, the master and, and uh, or phantom thread. Um and I like that stuff. It's incredible. But this really looked very nostalgic. Like it, it's a period piece, right? So what I've gathered, it takes place in the 1970s in the San Fernando Valley, which is right up our alley, Boogie Nights. And uh, in Heron Vice, there's the two locales for those, the locales for those two movies. And it's about a uh, child actor uh, coming of age in that era. So these are all elements that I'm way into. Coming of age is the 70s. And the fact that my one of my favorite directors is going pretty much back to what he was uh, what he was known for doing, which is those like big ensemble cast, very very Altman esque kind of thing. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I've already watched trailer like third times. Awesome, yeah. Um, it looks really exciting, and also uh, you know, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son being in it. That's that's interesting. All right, mm -hmm. you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if he's good. All right. So George, what's next uh, on tap? The George Gordon. Way too early challenged predictions. Um, uh, we are in episode three, so I don't know. The last episode I think you watched was uh, was Fessy getting kicked off. Uh, so as you know, uh, I am new to the challenge, and uh, so as, as as even though I know like who CT was because I remember when he was on the Real World. I guess he's my age now. He's like he's just hanging on. Um, uh, I, I'm still trying to figure out what like the was like how people go about being on the show. And I just figured it was like, instead of like playing the game, the political game, why don't you just be a beast at the challenges? 
You know what I mean? It's like it's like when that makes sense. It's like this is a competition. The competition is doing well at the challenges, <laughs> not this. So I don't understand the political part of it. And uh, and the other thing I don't understand is like why is everybody's best friends? It's like everybody's just like, oh, my best friend's gone. I was like, it's like I can't believe I'm going against my best friend. I was like, you guys like, do you guys not know anybody else? What's going on with the show? Dave, inform me because I am I'm very very lost. Um. Well, I really want you to go back and watch uh, some of the other seasons, Mo- mostly because not because like you you really need to know any of that stuff. Uh. But I think that you would definitely enjoy it. Um. But uh. Well, I would say that like as far as the like my best friend and stuff. I think that's very funny. Uh, they're all fake as shit. Like it's all super fake. Like they're just like, yeah, I love you, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll fucking stab somebody in the back. But like some of them have relationships outside of the show. And, you know, so it's a thing. Um, I will say that like, you can't just, I, I understand why you would say that. And I, I do have a bit of that. Um, and that was like this similar for other competition shows as well, uh, like Survivor, for example. But like you can't just the challenges are random as shit. Like some of them are like they're super random and like somebody will just be like really good at puzzles and they'll win that one or like whatever the case may be, um, you know, but like CT has fucking been on it forever, but he's figured out that like he can like kind of ride in the middle and not like make waves and do like pretty well at the challenges and win some of them. But like, yeah, it's also like some of them, especially like a CT who's been on forever, they know they're not on the show. They're like producers at this point because they know exactly how the show gets made. They know exactly what is going to make it to air and like how the the producers of the show are structuring it as a TV show, because as we all know, it's a TV show. It's not anything other than that. Um, you know, so like, I think the game favors a lot of those people and like CT won last season. And I, I could definitely see him winning again this season, but I like that. There's a lot of new people. There's so many new people and they're taking from all these different places. Like there's all these, uh, uh, like international people and like last week we got to see the woman emmy uh win and be like it's for romania <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was incredible um yeah anything else george that like you're any anybody else that you're like i think they're gonna be there in the end or or like you uh you're watching well, i mean like uh as as a as a as a new person to the the sport of the challenge uh, i like to see like when uh, uh i like to see a repeat winner just coming out of the gate so of course i'm gonna be rooting for amber b and ct because they won it last season and that was the first season i've ever watched so in my mind they are the uh the, it's like if tom brady and michael jordan teamed up it's like let's just let's just keep that going and then we'll as, yeah. as soon as i get a relationship with some other people then i can root for them but as of right now i'm rooting for hulk hogan and macho man randy savage which is CT and Amber B. The mega powers, I like to call it. To put it in like football terms, as far as like uh, uh, CT, CT is more like the, uh, he's like the Joe Montana. Like he's, in all intents and purposes, like, but based on number of championships, he's not the GOAT, but he's some people's GOAT. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like some people always be like, Joe Montana, he's my guy. 
Uh, and they're not wrong. Like nobody's wrong. You just did a very, very know your roles answer to that, to that, that, that proposition <laughs> that out there. So you've clearly been doing this podcast for very, very long. <laughs> hey, man, I yeah, yeah like, I just compare every, everything. Just compare everything to to something ridiculous. Um, all right, I think uh, that'll do it for that. All right, so next up on tap, we're going to talk about the David Bowie album Toy. It's an album that was recorded in two thousand and one but is going to be released posthumously. Um, The late, great David Bowie. And this album was shelved. Uh, um, We don't I exactly know why, but it was like some issues with the record company. And it's a lot of like versions of earlier songs and B-sides and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, more david bowie content i mean you know this is like there's something to be said some of the the posthumous projects uh from some of these musicians like you can tell it's clearly kind of a gross like money grab by people around them and it's like work that never was intended to be released you know um but this is something that he actually tried to release and it was stopped so i'm definitely very interested um in it and there's also going to be a box set of his coming up i I believe george uh but uh yeah what are your what are your thoughts on on that album well it's uh i'm gonna be super excited for it because david bowie is one of my my favorite artists of all time um uh, i it was unfortunate that i was only able to go to the david bowie exhibit at the brooklyn museum only once uh the three hours i spent there a few years ago was which is incredible and unlike uh I love when uh, when people are, have the ability to sort of let it out. So if you feel a certain way about an artist and it's like it affects you emotionally, just go ahead and let it out. And there was people there who got emotional about being at the David Bowie exhibit because I think he had died maybe a couple of years beforehand. So any other David Bowie content, I'm totally totally down for. Um, uh, the record was supposed to be released in 2001, as you were as you mentioned, and um, it's just like a, it's like a it's like a two new songs and a some um, some different versions of some older songs. And then we got a box set that comes out in November and another deluxe edition that I just saw that comes out in January. So bring on the Bowie content, make some more Paul Thomas Anderson movies with Bowie songs in it. So I'm down for that as well. So I, I, I can't wait to, to get a hold of that and spend way too much money. Maybe I, maybe I use my credit card. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah, you'll pay it off eventually. Um, all right. I think that's going to do it for Bar Talk. We are all tapped out. Um, we're going to go ahead and sit down with Desmond. Sounds good. It's been good. Uh, worked. We are switching the menu. We're doing an, um, what season is it? Fall. <laughs> Fall menu at Nighthawk. So we just tried a bunch of this stuff today. It's going to be really good. Really good food. I'm very excited. Awesome. Does that mean you get to do tastings and things when the menu changes? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. We tasted mostly everything. Some things, I guess, are kind of inconvenient to make for large groups of people, but we got to try most of the stuff and it's great. So good. I was going to say, is it fall? Um, I know, right? Yeah. yeah. Hey, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. But uh, while we're talking about Nighthawk, I think I would say on behalf of all of us, congratulations on uh, your your new position as program. Thank there. you. Thank you. We're all like excited about that. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, the rest of the year, the stuff we have planned is really great. So I'm very excited. 
Awesome. Yeah, my fiance and I live close and uh nice. Nighthawk has been a place like we we don't go out to eat very much, but like we've been to a bunch <laughs> of movies. Um yeah, yeah. And you guys are doing a great job. So like thank you for thank making you. us feel thank you very welcome and like a, you know, a small sense of of normalcy or whatever you want to call it. Word. I feel yeah. you. I feel you. Thank you. Nice, thank you. Nice to be in a movie theater. Yes, always, always a yeah. safe haven. <laughs> so now we know you can't give us a give us the whole thing, but can you give us a little bit, a few things you guys have planned for this fall? Yeah. So in October, our senior programmer Christina put together a program of horror remakes from the early two thousands. So they're all on thirty five. And it's going to be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Jessica Biel, (laughs) which was my personal contribution to that. Um, (laughs) The Hills Have Eyes, uh, House of Wax, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead, and The Ring will be on Halloween. Nice. Yeah. And then I'm starting three monthly series. I'm doing Adventures in Black Cinema, which will be me screening films from the podcast. So that first one's going to be Tales from the Hood at Prospect Park in October. Um, And then I'm doing a series called Reconsider This, where we reconsider movies that were considered to be bad when they came out. But they deserve another look because, you know, who who decided that it was bad? You know, so let's let the audience decide at the end of the film whether it's worthy of reconsideration or not. So the first one of those keeping in line with Halloween will be Gothica. And that's going (laughs) to be on 35. Um, And another series I'm doing is called Nostalgia Ultra. That'll be a brunch series. So screening like our favorite childhood films from the 80s, 90s, early 2000s. So we can get drunk and watch A Land Before Time. (laughs) And also, you know... um, the Park Slope parents can bring their kids and shit, but it's more it's it's more for us. So that'll be starting off on Halloween weekend with the Adams family, the 1991 version. We don't talk about these animated joints that they've been coming out with. Like, what are those? <laughs> what are those? So yeah, it's a lot of a lot of fun stuff coming. And then November, we're gonna do some films that came out during the pandemic that didn't get a theatrical full theatrical release. So some movies you may have watched at home that you're just like, I want to see that in the theater will be showing. Um, and then some holiday shit in December, some fun, some fun, fun holiday stuff. Yeah. Awesome. That's all very, very exciting. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's great. So all of us have listened to you on, on your podcast, uh, Adventures in Black Cinema. Thank you. Which is fantastic, by the way. Oh, thank you. I listened to like three episodes a day while I was doing laundry. The degree of difficulty to be able to host and do segments and do like an hour. I mean, like just like as as a comedian, I'm just sort of like was like, wow, you're doing this like every other week. It was like I don't even like doing it like <laughs> once a month. So shout out to yeah. you. You're so good at this. Um, what is, thank you. Why don't you walk us through in your audience is like the origins of this this podcast and because it seems like you guys started, you started, I guess, right around the time we did. And we have our origin story as well. So go right ahead. Yeah. So I would say the December before COVID started, 
Amanda hit me up and she was like, I want you to do a film podcast on the Smart, Funny and Black podcast network. And she was like, I want you to do things like you better act and like bring that to life. Because I had just been doing that on my Instagram. I saw Wallace Shawn in an episode of Mr. Robot. And I was like, Wallace Shawn, you better act like you up in here in this small role. And that's kind of where that came from. I was like, these people doing small roles, like I want to highlight these things that are happening. So she saw that I was doing that and she was like, I want you to bring that to life and then, you know, do a whole podcast. And at first, so that happened. And then during the pandemic, she was like, well, I guess we all have time to start this now. (laughs) So at first I was doing it with someone who is her stylist quite often. Um, It was going to be a duo podcast. He was going to talk a lot about kind of his point of view of film from, he likes a lot of ratchet black films, I will say. Like he likes, you know, how to be a player and stuff like that. So it's going to be like a combination of our tastes as well as a combination of like what we do as a filmmaker. And then him as someone who's very into fashion and therefore like costume design and stuff. So it's going to be kind of that dynamic. He didn't end up having time to continue. So I just continued on by myself, came up with a new title for the show, came up with some segments that we could do on the show every once in a while. And yeah, that's kind of how it came to be, you know, some good things, very few good things, but a couple of good things did spring out from just like having that time early on in the lockdown. Yeah, totally. Can you talk about a little... Uh, about how you go about picking the films for the podcast. I mean, you talk about a lot of different kinds of films. George and I were talking about that before, about like we listen to episodes like Bebe's Kids and Higher Learning and, you know, like <laughs> yeah. all, you're running the gamut of, of uh, subject matter and all sorts of things. Yeah, so sometimes I will pick a film based on kind of what's happening in the world at the time or kind of like seasonal stuff. Like I'll always try to choose like a genre film around Halloween, Uh, doing soul food near Thanksgiving was also very intentional and things like that. And then often I'll just try to have a balance as well. So I'll try to have a balance in terms of female directors. I try to do um, a balance of genre as well, because having too many episodes in a row where you're talking about serious shit can kind of just be like bogged down a little bit. So always try to balance with like comedy, drama, you know, try to get some action in there. And then sometimes I'll even go on a trajectory recently of things that are related in ways that you may not expect. So for example, I did Bebe's Kids this past week, which came out in 92 And this week I was like, oh, well, let me do something that came out in 02. So I'm doing Barbershop. So like things like that. Or I'll see like a little thread in between two films and that'll kind of help me propel to the next film. Uh, There will, in the future, be an episode about both Candymans because I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. (laughs) Definitely. The the Baby's Kids episode is, is, is entertaining because like you talk about authenticity. And uh, I today, just a little short story because I want to I want to ask you this question too. I watched the pilot yeah. for the Wonder Years, and there is a oh. scene in the show. I don't know if you've seen that yet because I guess it aired last night. I haven't night. seen it yet. 
I, I found it. I found the pod to be very, very good. There's, a, there's an episode. That's good. I found it. I was, I was kind of like, I was like choking because I was like, that is way too authentic, and it's very clear. There's like so many people they're talking about when they wrote this, and there, the scene that one which I'm talking about, in which like, uh, there's two people are arguing on a baseball field, which is I remember doing that playing, playing little league, and uh, the mom comes out. I was like, do not embarrass us in front of these white people, which I've heard my mom say to me as a nine year old. She's like, do not embarrass me in front of these white people. Has there ever been a time in which you saw something in one of the movies that you watched that you hadn't seen in which you were just like, wow, they fucking nailed that. That is exactly how that is. Yeah. Uh, it's very funny that we're talking about this future episode because I talk a lot about that when I'm talking about, are you talking about a movie that I hadn't seen before the podcast? That you hadn't seen? Well, I guess just, just it's a movie that you had that you did in your podcast and it was like, wow, they really nailed that part. Ooh, ooh. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the ones that I hadn't seen before I did them. A very big one that sticks it on my mind that really blew my mind in general that I hadn't seen was Menace to Society. Uh, I think his relationship with his grandparents in that movie actually felt very, very authentic to me, the, the main character, uh, because though that was not my experience, that was the experience of a lot of friends that I had. And there is something special about Black grandparents, especially in a situation in which the parents are not there. There's just an extra, if if you're lucky, <laughs> you have some dope grandparents, there's just an extra kind of love that's also stern, that's also probably religious, um, that just feels very at home to me, even though I was not in that situation at all. I was just like, these characters are so real and so rich and they're not anywhere close to being the main character. And I would also say that about, um, is it Charles S. Dutton who plays the, like uh, someone's father? father of, uh... Yeah, Charles S. Dutton. Yeah, he plays the father of uh, Sharif, I think is what his name yes, is. Yes, Sharif's dad. Because that character, so real. There was always that older, and by older, I mean like you're in your teens and this guy's in his 30s or 40s. This older, educated Black man who just like tells you how it is in the world and like honestly can really change your life and, you know, teach you a lot about our history and kind of just like what you got to do in the present. So I also really love that character for his authenticity. And side note, the Hughes brothers, they're great. They're, they're fucking great. I mean, Menace to Society and Dead Presidents, which I'm definitely going to talk about on the show at some point. And we are definitely screening Dead Presidents at Nighthawk one day. Reconsidered. Oh yeah. Cause like, <laughs> I don't understand how people didn't like that movie. I mean, that movie is great. It is so great. Some of Chris Tucker's best work. Lorenz <laughs> Tate is always yeah. incredible. He's so good. So yeah, Indeed. definitely some of those characters definitely rang very true to me. And I had not seen those movies before the podcast. Um, uh, I'm with you on the Dead President's Corner. I'm with both of y'all. But for me, like I already loved that movie to begin with. But as I've gotten older, it's the soundtrack that I love Honestly, maybe even more. Mm. There's Curtis Mayfield, that's Harold Melvin in the Blue Nose, that's Aretha Franklin, that's Sly in the Family Stone. The soundtrack has aged nicely. So I implore both of y'all to 
get the soundtrack or re-listen. It's unbelievably good. Ooh, 100%. I'm totally <laughs> down. And that's another thing about Black movies, the soundtracks. The soundtracks. <laughs> like, I have a whole episode, uh, the Waiting to Exhale episode is called Adventures in Soundtracks and Sisterhood, because that soundtrack is just all hits. Hits. Sitting up in my room. There's your blind knock on the yes. <laughs> So good. So, so good. Can you share with us some of your other, like, favorite uh films that you've had on the podcast or also like favorite episodes that you've done yeah i really love every time i have a guest on it's a lot of fun to have a dialogue with them and to it adds a bit more of spontaneity into the show the show itself when i'm recording it there's spontaneity, but just to have another person who I'm basically showering the run of show with versus me already knowing run of show and kind of going in a more organized way. So I always liked those. I really liked the episode that I talked about life with my friend Sheldon. I think that's another movie that's like pretty underrated. And there was just a lot to unpack there with that film. I also, I love the Love Jones episode. The Love Jones episode is one of my favorites for sure. Cause that movie, that's a movie that I hadn't seen before the podcast either. And I was going through it with love this summer, children. I was going through it. So when I watched that movie, I was like, oh my God, this is my life. And um, another one that I would say would be Love and Basketball, which was also with a guest. Uh, It's just, you could talk about Love and Basketball for hours for hours you always could <laughs> yeah i love that movie <laughs> yeah it's so good it's so good that should be coming up as well at some point awesome. next year <laughs> so you're you're a podcaster you're an actor here at the know your rules uh podcast we do a ton of research on all of our guests and i found a video that she did called the roaring 20s which i thought <laughs> was hysterical so <laughs> Thank Whether you're you. performing or writing or being a programmer, is there any concentration that you enjoy doing more or, or you just love it all? Because Growing mm. 20s is very, very good. So, Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was like the first screenplay that I wrote uh, with a friend of mine. I love writing a lot. It is the hardest thing to keep a consistent habit with. But when I get into a flow and can kind of like really hit a story every single day and really immerse myself in it, there's no better feeling of accomplishment for me. And that even comes into play sometimes with the podcast as well and um, can also come into play when doing intros and Q and A's for films as a programmer. So I think writing is honestly just like the best. (laughs) And at the same time, it's the most difficult thing to do. Like I'm working on a few scripts now and kind of, first of all, keeping a flow going between them in terms of like what stage they're at can sometimes be tricky you know, this one is in a first draft stage or this one I've been rewriting for a while or like this one, a couple more drafts and we can start sending it to crew and start doing pre-production. So kind of keeping those balls in the air can be 
a bit challenging sometimes. And yeah, just like after a long day of work, coming home and choosing of all things to sit down in front of your computer or in front of index cards or whatever and start to write can be tough. But when you do it, oh, it feels so good. It feels so good because you're, it can be a way to unwind from the day and kind of have a light bulb during the day that gets you excited to go home. And you're just like, oh, I figured something out for this screenplay through just living. So I try not to beat myself up when I can't get there sometimes because I think it's really important as a writer more than writing every day is like living and having experiences that you can bring to it. So though writing every day is a dream, it would be cool. I don't I don't know anyone who writes every day on a project. There are people who may write every day and like also journal or like tweet or do some sort of like writing exercise, but show me a person who works on a screenplay every day and they're probably getting paid lots of money to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, I was gonna, I was going to say well you don't have a day job. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so uh we we I think George and I both uh, feel you on that. Um I would love to hear about some of your influences uh, as far as like film goes and and writing and everything. Totally. I this project that I'm working on now that's a pilot, very big influences for that are Atlanta and Fleabag, interestingly enough. <laughs> and it's funny that they were supposed to do Mr. and Mrs. Smith together, but she left. She, I think she decided that she had other things to do. And I agree with that. <laughs> um, and, you know, I got into David Lynch when I think it was like 2017. I really got into him and I liked the way that he visually told stories and the way that his films are unconventional in that you do, if you like them, you do have to see them again to really like, cause once things are over, you're just like, oh shit, like what just happened? You have all these interpretations and you want to see it again. So that's something that I would love to do with my films, not all of them. It's not appropriate for every single fucking movie because I am not David Lynch. But, you know, um, of course, an inspiration for everybody at this point is Jordan Peele. The way that he explores issues through genre film is really great. And I would say that specifically for like his films, his two films that he's come out with, um, and then also, honestly, too, Key and Peele was an excellent fucking show. An excellent show. Uh, so they are both really great. And who else? I was getting a lot of inspiration from Louis Bunuel at some point. Uh, Spanish and French filmmaker. He's made films in both languages and he primarily worked from, I think like the fifties to the seventies maybe. And sounds right. yeah, I saw Off the top of my head. 
Yeah, that's like I, I feel like it's in that that area. I saw the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie a few years ago, and I was like, this is great. This is some like out there shit. Cause I love when people explore real issues through genre, whether that be comedy, horror, sci-fi, or even when we're talking about Boonwell, like surrealism. Um, absurdism. Because I think that visual humor to me is just the best. So when I was also other inspirations for this pilot that I was working on is uh, Jacques Tati's films. He does a lot of visual humor and lots of very specifically choreographed things are happening. And that's something that we're doing for this pilot that I'm writing. Kind of the choreography of everyday life, I find to be very fascinating. And when he's on, he's on. When he's off, he's off. And by this person I'm talking about, Edgar Wright, I don't like all of his movies, but I do tend to like the visual language that he works with. Because I I don't like, I do not like Baby Driver. But that opening sequence when he's, you know, going about his business in the street and it's almost like he's dancing with everybody. I was like, that's fucking sick. And it's crazy. Not enough cars. Not enough cars in that movie. (laughs) For a movie that is about driving, I wanted more. Um, But yeah, those are some of my, I feel like my influences change based on what project I'm working on. So those are a lot of the influences specifically for the pilot that I'm writing um, currently. Totally. That's some some very uh, great stuff in there. Um, yeah, <laughs> Boonwell Boon will uh, break your mind open in, yeah. in, uh, in many different ways. Uh, I was wondering if you had any thoughts or... Um, you know, uh, we just lost Melvin Van Peebles, uh, yeah. sadly, a giant um, in independent film and black cinema and just cinema in general. Um, I wonder if you have any any thoughts uh, about him or, or his work or, or a closeness or passion for his work at all. Yeah, I mean, my dad was born in the 50s. So he his formative years were the 70s. So I'll never forget just seeing this VHS one day of Sweet Sweetback's Badass song. And I'm like, what is this? I'm like 10 years old. I'm like, ooh, badass. Like, what is this? So definitely his work and a lot of Black exploitation work and a lot of Black work from that time period was very, very present in my home. So it's, you know... It's very sad to lose these Titans, especially as he was, weirdly enough, just getting more notoriety in the film world, a.k.a. white people were just like, oh, oh, my God, like, who is this person? Where did this guy come from? Right. With these, like, like, restorations and stuff and everything, which is great to see the work restored and, you know, get up there. But it's like, everyone needs to get on board earlier and really start appreciating these people while they're here. Cause we're losing people at various ages. You know, we lost uh, Mario and we lost, no, it's not Mario, Melvin. We lost Melvin and <laughs> Mario's yeah, still like, here. Yeah. 
we lost Melvin and we lost Cicely Tyson of that older generation, but we also lost like DMX and we lost Michael K. Williams, like these young people, these incredible artists. So I just want there to be more appreciation for these people while they're here, you know, because the timing is very unfortunate with uh, Melvin Van Peoples, like I was just saying, with his work just now being really pushed out there. I think he has some stuff that's going to be, they're going to show restoration at the New York Film Festival and everything like that. So it would have been great for him to be around for that. But, you know, it's sad. Yeah, well, that's a good place to ask you, like, you know, so within this last year, we've, or last couple of years, I guess, we have seen a lot of things that didn't get their due. People are trying to, you know, to in this moment of like performative wokeness or, or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Like, like you said, some of it, it's great to give people opportunities, but it's also like, where have you been? Um, right. But what do you hope, you know, but we're also, we're seeing a rise in consciousness and, and as well, like you may be following uh, some of our listeners may be following uh, IATSE in LA is like discussing mm-hmm. a poss- possible strike. And, and, you know, people are starting to kind of like take their, power a little bit more like within the industry and i was wondering if you could comment on that and just talk about like your hopes for you know not post covid but like you know during after you know while we're still yeah uh you know film industry and how it you know needs to kind of catch up and and change and, and what's happening what you're seeing totally i think one of the biggest things that people sometimes miss in terms of representation, whether it be people of color, women, non-binary folks, queer people, is there is a very big emphasis on visibility in front of the camera, which is great. And that's only a very small piece of it, very small step, you know? We need to be getting more of those people in these executive positions, the people that are making the decisions that, you know, what are we going to green light? Who are we going to cast? How are we going to see this develop? You know, what scripts are we going to pick? You know, I think there needs to be a lot more people in those, not even producer positions, like, you know, director of network, director of programming at HBO. Though I got to say, HBO been betting on Black. They've been betting on Black. They've been doing a fairly good job for a network that's mostly run by white people. Um, But just to see people in those positions more, because I was working on a pilot with Amanda. She was making Smart, Funny, and Black her live show into a television show, and we were pitching to True TV. We are working specifically with them. And we ended up passing on them because they didn't understand certain things that would have diluted the show and would have made it for a white audience when that is not what we wanted because the highest level Black person in that network was an associate producer. So it's like, you know, there need to be people calling those kind of shots Because I think that will lead to a lot more visibility in front of the camera and a lot more projects just happening that are diverse and inclusive and everything. You know, famous moment at the Oscars a few years ago was when (laughs) Frances McDormand won the Oscar and she was like, two words, inclusion, 
writer <laughs> and i'm 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 wondering like where that went you know uh where that kind of cuz that's the thing about hollywood and the thing about life in general there's a consciousness that happens everyone's like ooh ooh great we're on it we got it and then it kind of just like fizzles away everyone forgets about it that's with pretty much everything and it really takes people giving us more of those opportunities. And, you know, sometimes it is regardless of experience. Like, I am very appreciative to Nighthawk for giving me this position, having only programmed for three years prior at a film festival. You know, they could have easily been like, oh, well, you know, he needs more years, more time. He's young and everything like that. But they knew me from working with me since I've been working there since they opened the Prospect Park. And also, I appreciate that they were like, let's give this person a chance. (laughs) All it takes sometimes is a fucking chance because... How are things going to move forward in the future if you don't give someone who's at a certain place now the chance to grow and, like, get there? So just way more opportunities at those levels and, like, real opportunities, you know? Sometimes they'll throw you, like, some scraps, but it's like, no, I want a job. (laughs) (laughs) Like, an internship, can be cute for a little bit if there's a job afterwards that's promised. Other than that, like, that's what needs to happen, you know? Yeah, no more unpaid labor. <laughs> no more unpaid labor. No, like, seriously. No. We don't got and how and, and speaking of IATSE, it's like, how do people think movies get made? Exactly. By people working 16 hours to the bone, never seeing their family, you know, like, yeah, it's not it's Ridiculous. not that much. And just like you said, like a lot of these issues where you're talking about uh, visibility, like it's not that complicated. It there needs to be people along the entire hierarchy who share the same experiences. That's the only way we're going to get that when it's a bunch of white dudes in the room. We know what the fuck happens. That's mm-hmm. what we've been living in for the history of this whole country. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, so, yeah, I thank you for sharing all that. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm getting all all riled up and I I don't want to <laughs> keep keep it going but I, I was going to it did seem like a good me- time to mention the Emmys um because we, oh I don't know God. if you were watching but it was like the more of the same of like a bunch of white people getting awards <laughs> oh my god like it's crazy how are you going to have a record number of nominees and then not award any of them? And the, and the thing about these academies is that it's not just one person making a decision. It's not just five people making a decision. It is a fuck ton of people making a decision. And it's crazy that they don't see the significance in the history that they could be making. I I love Olivia Coleman. I stand her. She's great. But do you know how historic it would have been if MJ Rodriguez had won that award for Pose? And they had that opportunity. Like, it was right in front of them. And they, <laughs> majority of them, I guess, were just like, mm, mm, 
but I like Queen Elizabeth though. Like I'm more obsessed. I'm more obsessed with like the British story. I just, I just need more <laughs> of that. And it's like, no, y'all stop. Like they were telling a story that happened very recently <laughs> in America, in New York City, and in a way that affected many people's lives. Who has the crown affected? <laughs> None of us. None of us. And it's like yeah. <laughs> that kind of like prestige. Um, uh, uh, political bullshit that happens, you know, and like, you know, I love Ted Lasso. It's a good show, but I would have loved to see my boy Bowen win for SNL or Keenan. Like, give Keenan Thompson his fucking shit. Like, oh my god. But yeah, <laughs> it 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 does feel like more of the same. And I bet you next year. <laughs> They'll be like, oh, my God, like, so sorry. And they'll do something to correct that. And then it'll go back. It's an every other year kind of thing. Same thing with the fucking Oscars. Yeah, it's like a slap on the wrist. And then it's like the adjustment. And then it's back to normal. Yeah. Like, why y'all give Frances McDormand the Oscar for Nomadland? Like, was she good? Yes. Does she already have two Oscars? Yes. Like, come on. It's. And it has nothing to do with like, you can't qualify it anyway, you know? So it's like just an arbitrary decision. It's a very arbitrary decision. Yeah. And a lot of it too, all these things have to do so much with money. (laughs) And also sometimes just like recognizing someone's name on a piece of paper for a show that you've never watched. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's so dumb. It's so dumb. So quickly, guys, I want to get to this game because I don't want to like uh, take up too much of Desmond's time, but I do want to tell you all one thing as far as Emmys and Oscars and what you guys think about this, what they suggest doing is not award Oscars and Emmys the same year, maybe wait five years down the road and then go, oh, you know how good that was? It's like, oh, I think we missed out on an opportunity. So how about we do like the five-year Oscar, not the Oscar and the Emmy for right now? I mean, it's like that's. I'm thinking that would be a good idea. We'll probably get less green books if we do it every five oh years. Oh, my five God. Years <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? What were we thinking? What were we thinking? That was not a good move. Somebody uh, mentioned an idea similar to that to me once, and I, it made me think. I was like, yeah, I mean, that would really show which of these films have staying power. Like, we would still be talking about Get Out and Phantom Thread. We would not be talking about fucking Green Book. We shouldn't have been talking about it in the first place. You know? <laughs> no, and Get Out is a perfect example of like, it's aged so well. And yeah. Us as well, too. And like, I love us. Get the credit. Motherfuckers yeah. be shitting on us because I have a theory that an expectation. And I have a theory that like a lot of, especially white people don't know what to do with a genre film with black people when it's not like so specifically about race. Was there race involved with that movie? Yes, of course there always is, but they just don't know what to do. They like spontaneously combust and decide that the movie wasn't good. It's stupid. Yes. Well well said. (laughs) Well, I feel like it's a perfect place to land. So today, for our episode, we have you on Desmond talk about movie scores and desserts. And here on the Know Your Rose podcast, we take two things that seemingly have nothing to do with each other and we try to sort of make a connection to them. And yes. uh, what we usually do is I go first, Dave goes second, and you as our distinguished guest, I'm going to go last. We should do five, five movie scores 
and five desserts. And uh, my first movie score is from a movie from 2011. It's actually more known for the uh, the actual songs in the movie, but there was actually a score involved. It was done by a guy named uh, Johnny Jewel of the band Desire and yes. Chromatic. The movie I'm talking about is Drive. Yes. And uh, I think the movie score for that because I love synth and I love this sort of like techno thing that they had going on. And it was done by it was done again by a guy named Cliff Martinez. And for those who don't know, Cliff Martinez was a drummer for the Red Chili Peppers for like a hot second, but ended up becoming a film scorer. So with those two guys booking in the that that score for me that is going to be the ice cream sandwich of desserts <laughs> both those two guys again ice cream in the middle and they made that score together yeah awesome. all right my first one is a like a kind of a traditional score from the last like few years very very operatic and, and big and that's interstellar and mm. by Hans zimmer uh and I just I think it's like the best example of that, like operatic, uh, huge orchestra style. It's so good. I can put it on to write or to like walk around. Um, it's really good. And I also like I, the movie Interstellar, I think is fine. Like it, I enjoyed it when I saw it. Um, actually, so that was maybe one of the last movies I saw at the old pavilion as a side note. Um, oh, shit. Became, nice. uh, the night. <laughs> um, but uh like it's the score is I think much better than the movie, <laughs> um, mm. which is why it's cheesecake because like you can go to a, like a shitty diner or something and like have a piece of cheesecake. And like, even if it's not that great, it's still satisfying. And like, if I go to juniors, which I don't know if I'll ever go there again, but if I do go there, I'm not getting anything <laughs> but cheesecake. <laughs> word. So, word. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Stellar. That's good. Cheesecake fucking slaps. <laughs> I love cheesecake. Right. Uh, sweet. My first one is the score from Jackie. Have y'all seen Jackie? No, I haven't seen that actually. Yo, mad good. Mad good. Same director, Pablo Loren, who did the Neruda film. And he's also doing the Princess Diana film, Spencer. I like that he chooses when he does biopics to choose a very specific moment in someone's life rather than, you know, doing someone's entire life. So Jackie very much focuses on her having to plan the funeral for her husband who was just assassinated. And the score was done by Mika Levy, who is a musician. They also did the score for Under the Skin and the score for Zola that came out this past summer. Very, very talented musician. And the score for Jackie comes on pretty much in the first few seconds of the film. And it's this very Baroque score, lots of violins, lots of cello, lots of just like open sounds. And so I chose Dark Chocolate Cake because the score is made up of sweet and soft things like strings. And it's also very dark and rich. Awesome. So that's my first awesome. one. Brilliant. Brilliant answer. It's, uh, that was amazing. <laughs> uh, apparently, Princess Stewart and Spencer is supposed to be amazing in that too. So, so. Ah, uh, yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right. For my next one is a movie that's actually a 36 by 24 
frame poster of it over my right shoulder, which is Midnight Run. And that score is done by Danny Elfman of Boingo Boingo. Now, he's done other scores from other movies. <laughs> Midnight Run is just sort of this weird kind of jazz kind of it's like Steely Dan on cocaine, which just sounds like Steely Dan, if you ask me. But it's a lot of fun. So that's my favorite score. I'm going to call it my favorite dessert, which is chocolate lava cake. So yes. Midnight Run is a chocolate lava cake. Nice. Um, all right. My next one is one of my favorite films of all time and one of my favorite scores. And it's a musician that I'm sure all of our listeners will know, but they might not know this movie. And the movie is Elevator to the Gallows, a French film from, I believe, the 60s by Louis Maul. Uh, might be the 50s. But anyway, the score is done by Miles Davis. Wow. And... Yes, like a very, I think it was actually late 50s because it was like very young Miles. And he was like, you know, he was he was a known thing in the art world and everyone thought he was like super fucking cool. And Louis Maul was like, you know, a French dude who was obsessed with jazz. And they were like, yeah, let's get him. And it's incredible. It's so beautiful. Um, and the film is very good as well. But it's like, it's very French. Uh, it's like about an, it's it's like about espionage and like uh it's like a thriller but it's paced like very slow mm. and very french um but i love it and that's why i have to go with an old school french dessert and that's a chocolate eclair yeah it's a chocolate eclair yes. hell yeah and yeah that miles davis score is is Ugh, i gotta listen so to that and i have to see this movie now i have to it's it's really really yes good. elevator to the gallows elevator to the gallows hell yeah it's funny that you chose Danny Elfman for your second one, George, because Danny Elfman's also my second one. I chose Beetlejuice because that nice. score fucking slaps. I <laughs> want to be in a situation where I can watch that movie with a full orchestra and choir playing that music because it's just so fucking epic when those voices come in at the end of the main theme it's with the brass and everything the horns it's bananas and it's and it's gorgeous and i also picked my favorite dessert for that as well i picked dutch apple pie because it's my favorite and it feels familiar i mean they use the beetlejuice score for many a trailer <laughs> and many a commercial so it feels very familiar to me great answer awesome. great answer shout out to denny elfman he's the best hell yeah <laughs> uh so my next one is from uh 2004 and it's very specific because uh the movie there's a there's a it's a sequel to another movie that came out in 2003 and it is Robert Rodriguez with a little special assist from the RZA, and it's Kill Bill 2, and it is all over the place. There's horns, there's it's electronic, there's mariachi bands. It's just so much fun, which is why the dessert that I'm gonna choose for, it is a banana split because there's just so much shit on it. <laughs> just, kind of <laughs> of it. just throw the whipped cream on it, do it. Throw some nuts on it. We don't care. Throw some chocolate syrup on it. We don't give a shit. Banana split is the kill bill <laughs> of scores. <laughs> I love that. Awesome. Um, all right. My next one is from a movie and an artist that I believe is very polarizing. <laughs> um, I'm kind of on the like pro side of the fence. Definitely on the artist. And I think on the movie, although I'd have to rewatch it. And 
the the correct title of the score is Selma Songs, music from the motion picture Dancer in the Dark yes. by Bjork. Yes. yes. Um, the it is so weird and so like wonderfully Bjork. Also, like moments of just like unbelievably like beautiful op- operatic like you know concerto stuff and and then like weird Bjork Icelandic fairy voices um but uh yeah it it works uh for me which is why it 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 is a new age donut so it could be like I, but i think like the one that the ones that work so like there's like mm. apple miso and of course like bacon maple or whatever mm-hmm. that is uh yeah i'm in i'm in for it polarizing but i'm 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 pro mm. pro new age donut lars lars polarizing Yes. Polarizing. But I like most of his movies. Um, my next pick is Phantom Thread. This score is done by Mr. Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead. And I love his score for There Will Be Blood as well. And he is actually doing the score for Spencer, the Princess Diana movie. Um, I'm very excited to hear that. But the Phantom Thread score is just so fucking pleasant. I love it so much. And I'm glad that he got an Oscar nomination for it. So the dessert I chose were macarons because they're pillowy soft and they make you feel fancy as fuck when you're eating them. (laughs) And that is how that score feels. When you're listening to the song House of Woodcock, you're like, oh, like I'm the shit. I'm fancy. And I'm also just like graceful. So so I chose that. I use that one to write too. It's so good. <gasps> so good. So good. George. All right. So for my next film and score um, uh, and dessert. So this film came out in 1991, but in essence was a remake from a movie from 1962. And that is Cape Fear. The cool thing about the remake mm. is that the score from the, the, the 1990 movie, 1991 movie is also the score from the 1962 movie. So shout out to the Bernard Herman who did the original score. And which is why I think by the way, it was a, a torn curtain, which is a, a Hitchcock movie. Uh, they they didn't use it. They're like, we don't like this. Anyway, who cares? Anyway, <laughs> so my next dessert is is an OG because it's like this: the movie in '91 is good, the score in '91 is good, the score in 1962 is good, the score in 2021 is good, and it'll always be good. So I'm gonna call it the apple pie of desserts. Cape Fear yes. score, Bernard Herman. What's up? <laughs> hell yeah hell yeah nice um all right my next one is actually a score from a movie that i've never seen mm. but i'm but i it's one of my favorite scores of all time um and that's trouble man which is a a film from the 70s that is it's a black exploitation film and the soundtrack is marvin gay mm. and it's incredible i i know it because it's been sampled like a million times um and like i found out about that at once and i i i heard this record and it's it's unbelievable i mean there's so much going on i highly recommend everybody listening to it right away um it's super fucking cool it's been sampled a lot and it's, there's also like of that era of like black exploitation those soundtracks i mean you could name, I could have put a bunch of different ones in here, like the Mac or Sha- the Shaft soundtrack is incredible. Mm-hmm. Anything that Isaac Hayes did really, 
uh anything that quincy jones did like mm-hmm. it's they're fucking unbelievable uh that's why it is chocolate fudge ice cream or some kind of like chocolate based ice cream because i don't care what's in it if it's chocolate based ice cream sign me up and if it's one of those scores from the 70s i'm sure it's going to be really good yes hell yeah my dad also very into all of the music from the 70s as well so that all comes together um my next film is sicario the score was done by Johan Johansson, rest in peace. And that score, oh my God, when they are driving into Juarez, <laughs> and you just hear this like creeping sound with the descending, any score that has a descending kind of like, uh, almost like someone's like falling off of something, I'm into it. That also shares, Jackie has a lot of that in it. And what I chose is not necessarily a dessert. It is a jawbreaker. And I chose that for the score because it fucks. <laughs> and it gets you like right in your temples because of all those noises. It just like, and because of what's going on on camera, it just like increases your heart rate essentially. Yeah. I got tense just mm-hmm. thinking about that. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So good. All right, George. All right. So my last one, it's, I don't know. I think we're just burying the lead here. We got to mention this person at least once. And I'm the one on movie I'm going to talk about because my favorite part of the the score is in this, this movie. And that's the Imperial Death March, but from Empire Strikes Mm. Back in 1980 and John Williams, he was, he was just one of the best to ever do it. And seeing that I'm talking about the, one of the best to ever do it. Uh, Any shout out that I can give to my mom, Doris Gordon, and anything that she can make that I'm just going to talk about. So John Williams, the best to ever do it. Doris Gordon, the best to ever do it as well. And that's the red velvet cake by Doris Gordon, the Gordon household. So what's up? (laughs) Let me try some of your mom's red velvet cake. I love red velvet. (laughs) Yeah, I think we're all in agreement there. We'll have you over anytime. Um, Hey, y'all. My chicken and red velvet cake. I've already mentioned mine. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. Please. (laughs) I'm there. Um, all right. I'm going to finish mine up uh, with another Titan that we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, and that's Ennio Morricone. Mm. Ennio Morricone. I love his work. Uh, it's been referenced in so many different things. I mean, Tarantino has pretty much used a sample from Morricone in every fucking movie he's ever done, except for the one where he actually got Morricone to do a score for him, which is uh, uh, Hateful Eight. Um, yeah. But the one I like the most is actually not one of the one, like it's not a spaghetti Western. Um, and it's days of heaven, the Terrence Malick film, which is one mm. of my favorite films of all time. And the score is incredible. It's been used in so many things. I actually, I, I think this is mostly just my hunch, but I've always felt that, uh, Danny Elfman based a lot of stuff off that score, especially like stuff from, uh, Edward Scissorhands. Um, Ooh. it's, very similar like it's very haunting but like super dreamy uh it's very layered and you know morricone was one of these guys who uh found a lot of work in spaghetti westerns which were of course uh westerns that were made in italy and with italian crews and and filmmakers and actors um and that's why i wanted to pick a dessert that is that like a American Italian restaurant? And like, even <laughs> if the restaurant's not that good, the dessert's probably satisfying. And that's tiramisu. It's tiramisu. Yeah. Very layered. There's so many different things going on. 
yeah, that days of having scores. Ooh, very, very good. Speaking of tiramisu, I had a tiramisu croissant this morning and it was Whoa. absolutely fucking incredible. The croissant was like soaked in coffee and the cream is in the middle. It was so good. So, yeah, so good. Incredible. Yeah. I'm realizing all of the composers that I picked also make music outside of composing scores because my last pick is the score of Soul, which was done by Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Batiste. And the interesting thing about that score is that there's basically two different scores. There is a jazz score that John did for when the main character is on Earth, essentially. And then the Nine Inch Nails dudes, they did the music for when he is basically in purgatory or wherever the fuck he is. Uh, And I chose soft serve swirl ice cream because you get two different flavors and they work very, very well together. So they complement each other. That's why I chose that score. Awesome. Gotta love that soft serve twist. Gotta love, gotta love the twist (laughs) on the cone. Gotta love it. Love it. Well, well, Desmond from, I guess from, on behalf of Dave and producer Mary Bess, um, uh, I knew you were going to be great on the on the podcast because I've been listening to you all day. This is this has been wonderful. Before Thank we let you, you go, is there anything you want to talk about or plug before? Because I know you have an app. Yeah, I'm the first Adventures in Black Cinema screening is happening at Nighthawk Prospect Park on Wednesday, October thirteenth. It is going to be Tales from the Hood. So come through and see that. It's going to be a lot of fun. And it's going to be great for that to be the inaugural Adventures in Black Cinema screening. So come check that out. It's going to be great. Awesome. And how often are you doing the the podcast though? So the podcast is bi-weekly and it's on Tuesdays. So it's on all major podcast platforms every other Tuesday. And This episode that I'm doing is going to be the 44th episode. So you have lots to listen to if you haven't listened to it yet. Like everyone was saying, there is a lot of variety of films that we talk about. And speaking of black exploitation films, I really want to start getting into those and some like comedies from the 80s. So Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. As as George said, that this was a blast. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, hopefully we'll see you at Nighthawk soon. Yes. Come through. Come through anytime. <laughs> Bye. All right. That was great. Thank you again so much to Desmond Thorne. Man, that was, uh, I could talk like film and and stuff with him for a long time. He definitely has uh, a lot of knowledge and interest and it was cool to hear him talk about so many different kinds of of film and art. Definitely check out Adventures in Black Cinema every other Tuesday, wherever you stream your podcasts. I think we're all really enjoying it. Follow him on socials at Desmond Thorne. And don't miss his first Adventures in Black Cinema screening of Tales from the Hood at Nighthawk Prospect Park on October 13th. Listeners, we're doing something new on the Know Your Rose podcast. We want to hear from you guys. So tweet at us. 
uh, IG message us, KYR Pod, and we're going to be talking about film scores and desserts. I want to hear what you guys have to say. So shout at us, listeners, because we would love that. And we're going to read them on the next episode. Awesome. Yes. Uh, yeah. Send us uh, those. That'll be fun. All right. We're going to go ahead and move into last call where we talk about things we are looking forward to and stuff we got on the horizon. George, what do you got for us? Um, uh, as I've mentioned before, is like, and I will keep on mentioning as long as there's comedy going on, I still do stand up comedy. And if you guys are going to be in the New York area, October 10th, which I believe is a Monday, I will be at New York Comedy Club uh, that evening. It should be a great show. I think our, uh, I think Dan Soder's on it. So, like, shout out to Dan Soder. So, um, uh, that should be a pretty good show. And then, of course, this weekend, there's a lot going on this weekend. There's only really one thing that I'm going to be paying attention to, and that is the NFL. It's Sunday night now. I'm not really sure what the numbers are going to be, but this has the potential to be probably the most watched uh, regular season football game at all time, and that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus New England Patriots. The prodigal son returns back to New England with the new girlfriend. It's like like you throw a party, and like all your old friends are going to be there, but you guys are broken up, and they bring in the new girlfriend, and you've been dating some other people, but it hasn't been going well. That's what the Patriots and Buccaneers is going to be like. And I am there for this. I'm there for the pettiness. There's a Seth Wickersham book that's coming out about the end of their relationship. I'm also there for that. That comes out next week. So the stand-up gig is a big deal, but the football game is even bigger. Dave, what are you looking forward to? Yeah, there are excerpts I'm sure you've seen that have already come out from that book. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of the shit we we kind of thought. Um, and he's going to destroy them. Tom Brady is going to absolutely destroy them. Uh, I expect a 50 spot fun. just for at shits least, and giggles. At least. I mean, I they'll probably go for it on every fourth. That, like, he'll he's going to destroy them. Um, anyway. All right. Uh, the only thing that I am kind of looking forward to that I'm watching is actually the WNBA playoffs. They're uh, in the semifinals right now. It's been really exciting. Of course, the team that I follow, uh, the Chicago Sky is in the semifinals versus the Connecticut Sun. And there's like a, a ton of star power in the semis uh, in this series and the other series. The Sky won the first game. Courtney Vandersloot had a triple double second triple double in WNBA playoff history you know the first one is cheryl swoops i probably could have gotten that also i heard it the other day (laughs) i uh i think you would have but i i just was moving it along um uh i'm sure you would have but anyway yeah and of course kalia copper and then you know the uh the sun had the mvp john quell jones also, Brianna Jones in the front front court. That's a very solid front court. Then the other series is uh, the Phoenix Mercury versus the Las Vegas Aces. And that's awesome because you got Brittany Griner and Liz Cambage going at it. Um, man, they're like both like power forward centers. And they're like going back and forth with like turnaround fadeaway jumpers. Like Brittany Griner hit one on cambage and like liz cambage is like running back kind of smiling and then she like hits a three and it's been it's very fun to watch uh but yeah WNBA playoffs go chicago sky candace parker let's get it um that's what i'm watching all right now we're gonna go ahead and check in with our favorite regular producer mary best for mb's booth what do you got for us 
Thank you, Dave. So, the news from the U.S. border in recent weeks has been both heartbreaking and infuriating. With many refugees being turned away from asylum, specifically Haitian people fleeing both humanitarian and political crises in their homes, the Biden administration is failing to uphold its promise to reform U.S. immigration policy and practices. Many progressive voters like myself, who cast their ballots for Biden in 2020, shared the conviction that they would hold this new administration to as high a standard as possible. And now is precisely the time. If you feel that the U.S. immigration system is failing, and that people fleeing persecution, political upheaval, and environmental catastrophe deserve a safe haven from one of the richest countries in the world, then we encourage you to reach out to your representatives and demand this administration do better. You can reach the U.S. Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121. You can also help by supporting organizations like the Black Alliance for Just Immigration and the Refugee and Immigrant Center for Education and Legal Services. You can find all of this information in today's show notes. In some good news, Tessa Ganserer and Nike Slawick both from the Greens Party, will be members of the next German Bundestag and the first transgender women to win parliamentary seats in Sunday's national election. Quote, it is a historic victory for the Greens, but also for the trans-emancipatory movement and for the entire queer community, end quote, said Ganserer, adding that the results were a symbol of an open and tolerant society. Both Ganserer and Slawick are bringing the fight for human rights and the LGBTQ plus community to their positions in the parliament, another step forward in the ongoing effort for equity and equal protection under the law for marginalized people in Germany and across the world. Congratulations. This is exciting news. All right. Thank you very much, Mary Bess. Always a pleasure to hear from you. You're welcome. All right, George, why don't you tell us what we got going on on our next show? Give our listeners something to look forward to. Uh, Our next show, October 15th, we're going to have director, producer, Lauren Greenhall, who's responsible for 2020's The Miss Quarantine Pageant. Can't wait to hear about that. All right, we're going to go ahead and finish out this show. I want to say thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to George. Thank you to producer Mary Bess. Thank you to our designer, Amanda Zeller. And thank you to Alan Takid, Nate88, and Kazo Oslo for our theme. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Know Your Roles wherever you get your podcasts. Please be safe and take care. Get vaccinated. And finally, my send off that I usually say, wear your mask over your fucking nose. But I'm also going to add this is like when you go into bars and restaurants, how about we have uh, your proof of vaccination already ready? So I don't have to fucking ask you. Shout out to us, the bartenders, because that shit stinks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have it. We have been out last three weeks. Like, we know. Yeah. Like, it's a come on. Just have it. Just have it. We're tired. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.